Please open your Bible to Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, we're going to be giving our attention to the rest of the chapter, beginning in verse 20 through verse 33. And I've, uh, I don't normally give titles to my sermon, but it's right here in front of me, so I titled it Trail Markers on Our Journey, and I'll get into why I titled that in a bit, Trail Markers on Our Journey. Uh, in the 1600s, uh, there was a man in England, so about 500 years ago, a little less than 500 years ago, 400 years ago, sorry, <laughs> a man in England, he began writing a book while he sat in prison for 12 years. Uh, the book that he wrote while in prison has been described as the greatest novel ever written in English. One literary, literary critic, he writes that there's no book in English apart from the Bible to equal this masterpiece for the range of its readership or its influence on writers as diverse as Charlotte Bronte, Mark Twain, C.S. Lewis, and John Steinbeck. The book, if you don't know, is The Pilgrim's Progress, and the author was John Bunyan. And since its first publication in 1678, the book has remained continuously in print, and over the years it has been translated into over 200 languages. While sitting in prison, Bunyan put his pen to paper and he started by writing these words. As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I came to a certain place and where there was a cave and there there was a cave and I laid down in that place to sleep and as I slept, I dreamed a dream. And the rest of the book tells the story of that dream. It was of a man named Christian who embarks on a journey through great danger to reach a place called the Celestial City. Now, along the way, Christian faces various challenges and dangers. He meets many different characters, some of whom are a great help to him and others who are a great threat to him, some who encourage him and some who distract him. And the, the book really beautifully illustrates the Christian's journey along the good path that God calls each of us to walk. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher, he, he loved this book. Uh, he said, next to the Bible, the book I value most is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. I believe I have read through it at least a hundred times. Spurgeon said that. And what Spurgeon loved so much about this book was how much of the Bible that it contained. He said that Bunyan was someone who read the Bible till his very soul was saturated with Scripture. So, I mean, think of a sponge saturated with water. That's how Bunyan's soul was. He described him as someone who was a living Bible. Prick him anywhere, his blood is Bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the Word of God. And may we be those people. May we be people whose, whose souls are saturated with Scripture. This is why we give ourselves to reading God's Word together, why we give ourselves to reading God's Word privately. As one reads The Pilgrim's Progress, you get this very clear sense that, that John Bunyan was not only well acquainted with all of Scripture, he was really well acquainted, acquainted with the book of Proverbs. Like Proverbs, Bunyan speaks often of, of the way that we are called to walk. Uh, Christian's journey is, is one that takes place on, on a path. It takes place, uh, and, and so he goes along this path. Like Proverbs, Bunyan speaks often of that way. And he presents the gifts of discipline and instruction and reproof. And as we begin, I just wanted to share one example, one scene from The Pilgrim's Progress, where we see some of, of these themes emerge. And it takes place after Christian has left Vanity Fair and he's been joined by hopeful 
on his journey. So this is, this is story time for a minute. And after making his way, Christian and hopeful, along this beautiful river, the path begins to get tough. And Bunyan writes this. Now I saw in my dream that they had not traveled far until the river and the way parted for a time, at which they were very disappointed. The path away from the river was rough, and their feet were tender because of their travels, so they grew impatient on the way. As they continued on, therefore, they wished for a better road. And sometimes we can be in that place. The the way gets tough, and we wish for a better road. A short distance in front of them was a meadow on the left-hand side of the road. There was a set of steps constructed over the fence bordering the meadow, which is called Bypath Meadow. Then Christian said to his friend, If this meadow lies alongside our pathway, let's go over into it. Then he went to the steps to see. Sure enough, a path lay along the way they were going on the other side of the fence. It's just as I hoped, said Christian. Here is the easiest going. Come, hopeful, and let's go over. But what if this path should lead us out of the way? Asked Hopeful. That's not likely, said Christian. Look, doesn't it go along by the wayside? So they're, they're looking over this fence. There are two paths that go along parallel to one another. Christian said it looks way nicer than the path we're on. So being persuaded by his friend, Hopeful followed him over the steps. After they had gone over and had gotten into the path, they found it very easy for their feet. And with that, looking ahead of them, they saw a man walking as they did, and his name was Vain Confidence. So they called after him and asked him where that path led. To the celestial gate, he said. Look, said Christian, didn't I tell you so? By this you may see we are right. So they followed, and he walked in front of them. But nighttime came, and it grew very dark, so that they who were behind lost sight of him who was in front. He who was in front, Vain Confidence, not seeing the way before him, fell into a deep pit that was put there on purpose by the owner of that property to catch conceited fools. With that, he was dashed in pieces by his fall. Christian and his friend heard him fall, so they called out to know what the problem was, but there was no answer. They just heard groaning. Then Hopeful asked, where are we now? His friend was silent, considering whether he had led them out of the way. And it now began to rain and thunder in a dreadful manner. There was terrible lightning, and the water rose with force and suddenness. Then Hopeful groaned in himself, saying, Oh, if only I had kept on my way. Christian said, Who could have thought this path would have led us out of the way? I was afraid of it at the very beginning, responded Hopeful, and therefore I gave you that gentle warning. I would have spoken plainer, but you were older than I. Dear brother, said Christian, don't be angry. I'm sorry I've brought you out of the way and that I've put you into such imminent danger. Please, my brother, forgive me. I didn't do it with an evil intention. Be comforted, my brother, said Hopeful. I forgive you and also believe this will turn out for our good. I'm glad I have a merciful brother with me, responded Christian, but we had better not stand here. Let's try to go back again. But, good brother, let me go in front, suggested Hopeful. No, said Christian, if you please, let me go first, so if there's any danger, I may be the first to encounter it. It's my fault we've both gone out of the path. No, replied Hopeful, you won't go first. Since your mind is troubled, you may be led out of the way again. Then for their encouragement, they heard the voice of one saying, Take note of the highway, the road that you take. Return. But by this time, the water had risen higher, and for that reason, the way going back was very dangerous. Then Bunyan comments this, he says, Then the thought occurred to me that it is easier going 
out of the way when we are in it than it is going in when we are out of it. It is easier going out of the way when we are in it than it is going in when we are out of it. Yet they still attempted to go back, but it was so dark and the flood was so high that in going back, they were almost drowned nine or ten times. Neither could they, with all the skill they had, get to the steps again that night. For that reason, they at last stopped under a little shelter and sat down there until daybreak. And being very weary, they fell asleep. You'll have to read more to find out what happens after they fall asleep. But what Bunyan illustrates for us is what so often happens in our life. We, we face difficulty, we face hardship, we're called, we know we're called to go on this way, but that way seems better. It seems good. And it's all too easy for us to lose the trail, to leave the way. And God speaks into our lives through this book of Proverbs to help keep us on the way. It's written to protect us. And as we go through our text today, I want you to have, have a picture in your mind. I want you to picture a trail. I, if you've been hiking, you can have this picture very easily. You go, you go on a trail, and if it's a longer trail, what are you looking for? You're looking for trail markers along the way, little blazes. So if you're on the Appalachian Trail, you'll see white blazes all along the Appalachian Trail on trees, white painted on trees, and that's how you know I'm on the right trail. You look for those trail markers. Wisdom is a trail to life and joy that's, that has trail markers. And our text today is going to give us three trail markers. They have to do with counsel and dependence and listening. And so I want to read our text and then pray, and then we are going to dive into our text. So let's hear the word of the Lord first. Proverbs 15, beginning in verse 20. This is the word of God for us today. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Verse 23, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. The path of life leads upward for the prudent, that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. Verse 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Let's pray. Lord God, by your Holy Spirit, impress your word upon us today. As we consider these truths, may they shape our imaginations and our affections and our actions. Help us to see all things through the lens of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can someone grab me some water? Only, I only need one person. Oh, look at that. Thank you. Sorry. 
So three trail markers along our way that this text gives us. Trail marker number one is this pursue counsel. Pursue counsel. This is verses 20 through 24. Our text opens with this contrast between the effects of wisdom and folly on others. A wise son, verse 20 says, brings joy to his parents. Now one thing I have learned as a father of four children, and you other parents will know about this, is how deep the emotions that you feel for your children, how, how deep they are. And they run all the more deep as your children get older. I can think of several instances, instances where one of my children encountered some kind of failure, some kind of obstacle, and their, and their best effort didn't get them what they hoped for. And I know I've been there before, and I've been disappointed myself experiencing that, but the feeling that I have when my children do that is far more intense than when it was with when I was a child. Uh, one pastor says this, and I think it's true, the brightest joys and the bitterest sorrows in this world of tears flow from parents' hearts. The brightest joys and the bitterest sorrows flow from parents' hearts. So when your child walks in wisdom, when they pursue wisdom, when they move forward in the blessed path of life in Christ, it makes for glad and joyful parents. It's a wonderful thing. This joy has nothing to do with a child's talents or the riches that they come by or the recognition that they receive. It only has everything to do with walking in true wisdom, which Proverbs defines as, as fearing the Lord. It's living in humble dependence on and obedient trust in the Lord. A wise son makes a glad father. But when a child walks in folly, when they are foolish, they only show hatred to the parents who love them. They despise the hands that have fed them. This child, the one who needs instruction, right? They're, they're a child. They need to be trained. They reject it because of their high view of themselves. They think they've got it all figured out. They are, they're self-important. They despise the wisdom that God has brought into their life. And when this happens, it's, it's heartbreaking. I put my parents through this as a child. It is tragic, and I, I hated my parents through the way I acted, through the decisions that I made. But things only get more tragic from here in our text because the fool isn't even bothered by this. It has no effect on their, on their souls. And I'm, I'm grateful to God as I think back to what I put my parents through, that the, the tears of my mother, they did affect me. They did soften my heart. But for the fool... What is right and good has been turned on its head. And lacking a mind, they find their folly joy. That's what verse 21 tells us. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense. For a fool, they derive great, great pleasure, happiness, from their foolishness. Both their actions and their affections, they're directed toward that which will be their own ruin. They don't heed the warning of, of Paul in Ephesians 5, 18 and 17 to look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Paul warns us, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's really, that's, that's so much of what wisdom is. Discerning the will of the Lord for our lives. That's, a, that's language that you'll hear John and Chris and I use often. It's like, this is what we're called to do. What, discern what God's will is for you in this. 
This is what the wise, the, the man of understanding, labors to understand. He wants to understand wisdom. He wants to understand the will of the Lord. So he walks straight ahead. He knows where his path is headed. He's convinced of the joy that is set before him. And so he walks straight on his way, not turning to the right or to the left. His affections, his, his longing for true and lasting joy inform his actions. They determine his actions. And in doing so, he brings joy to those around him, both in the present, a wise son makes a glad father, and joy to himself in the future. The problem with the fool is that he is wise in his own eyes. He thinks he knows what's best. He's confident in himself, in his own opinion. And so he sees no need for anyone else. He sees no need for, for counsel of any kind. He's despised his parents because of his self-importance. And as he grows, he despises the counsel of everyone else. But this does not go well for him. Verse 22 tells us that without counsel, plans fail. All of the things that this fool hoped for in life, they don't work out because he only ever relied upon himself. He thought he had all the answers in himself. But those with wisdom, those who are humble, what do they do? They pursue counsel. They pursue the wisdom of others. They seek it out. And, and this verse tells us that their plans succeed. Now, the counsel they receive isn't just any counsel. Verse two, 22 is not saying that the more people you involve, the better. It really matters what your counselors say. And verse 23 tells us about the kind of counsel that benefits. Verse 23 says, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. Good counsel is described as this apt answer. A word in season. And we face problems and challenges and crises in life, right? The, the, the way gets tough. The, the path gets difficult. And we can't escape that. Wise words in the face of our circumstances are words that are a right response to what we face. They're words that, that fit the occasion, it's a speech that Paul calls us to in Ephesians 4.29 where he, he says that our, our talk should be that which is good for building up. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's the kind of counsel we should be seeking. That's the kind of counsel we should be giving. These good words, they're, they're life-giving. They bring joy to those who speak them and those who hear them. We are not to seek out and pursue counsel that's always in agreement with us. This can be a temptation for us all. It's like, I just want to find someone that thinks the way that I think. We want to seek out and pursue counsel that is always in agreement with the will of God. Counsel that fits the circumstances that we face. This kind of counsel, this kind of talk, is a true gift from God. Because God's ways are, are the path to life and to flourishing. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. This is the path that leads not to just to joy now, but joy forever. We are a people who can be tempted to turn from God's ways, to turn towards folly, to turn away from that which is truly good. But God, through his good word, through instruction, through counsel, gives us opportunity to turn from this path of death to a path of life. It's the, it's the voice that cries out to Christian and hopeful. 
and says, you know the highway, return, come back. Verse 24 says, the path of life leads upward for the prudent, that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. The counsel that we seek, the counsel that we pursue, should be counsel that, that brings us back in the way of life. And those who are in Christ, those who have been washed by the blood of Jesus, they're called to walk this upward path. They're called to seek the things that are above where Christ is. They're called to set their mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And this is the path of life and everlasting joy. Brothers and sisters, we are to be a heavenly-minded people, a God-focused people. We live as those who are loyal to the one true king, citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And this means that the decisions that we make day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, over our lifetime, the decisions that we make will at times not make any sense at all to those around us. They'll seem foolish, stupid. Our lives are oriented, though, around different priorities. Priorities not of this world. And so be okay with being uncomfortable at times. Be okay with looking out of place with the world around us. Because we are called to walk this upward path. And may God give us grace to keep on His way to do that and to be the kind of counselors to one another that helps one another to pursue that path. So that's our first trail marker, to pursue counsel, to seek counsel. But at this point, our text turns more directly towards the Lord's involvement in the destination of the righteous and the wicked, the wise and the fool, the proud and the humble. And we come to trail marker number two, which is to depend on God. Depend on God. This is verses 25 through 30. In these verses as a whole, we see clearly how the Lord stands against the proud and the wicked. But He draws near to the humble and the righteous. And it teaches us to depend on Him and what we desire and what we face and what we say. In this section, we're going to still see those same themes of counsel, of good words. But it's all in the context of the Lord's sovereign rule and reign over the proud and the humble alike. And so verse 25, it tells us that the Lord tears down the house of the proud. He, he stands against them. He opposes them. They might think they have success. They built a great house. But the Lord will tear it down because of their pride. And if you read the whole Old Testament, you will see this again and again and again. Uh, you see it with nearly all of the kings of Israel. Jeroboam and Basha and Zimri and Ahab and many others. The Lord tore down each of their houses. And we see again and again that God opposes the proud. God has the power and the authority to tear down the house of the proud. Our text here gives us some other descriptions of those who are proud, of those who are wicked. Verse 26 tells us that they aren't just wicked in their, in their attitude. They're wicked in their, in their mind. Even their thoughts are wicked. They're driven by their own desires, by their own gain, by what they want. Verse 20 to 27 describes this group as those who are greedy for unjust gain. And it's in, it, in its contrast, we see implied that they are those who, they love bribes. They crave the gifts that are given to them to influence them. They want that which doesn't belong to them and will lie and flatter and cheat 
to get it. They are wicked. They're like Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. After Elisha healed Naaman of leprosy and told him he would not accept his gift, you know what Gehazi did? Gehazi took matters into his own hands. He did not trust the Lord to do his work in his ways. He was not grateful for all that the Lord had provided to Elisha and himself. He was greedy for unjust gain. And so he chased Naaman down, and his mouth poured out evil things. He came to Naaman and he lied to him and said that two sons of the prophets had come and they need money and and clothes. Can you help? And Naaman said, hey, I'll give you more than what you asked for. Here you go. And he gives him a gift. And in his pride and in his greed, Gehazi, he takes that gift for himself. And when he returns to Elisha's house, Elisha asks him, hey, Gehazi, where have you been? And Gehazi says, oh, nowhere. And Elisha knows, Elisha is the man of God, he knows where Gehazi has been and what has happened, and God brings judgment upon Gehazi. And the leprosy that Elisha had healed Naaman of, that leprosy was said to cling to Gehazi instead. The ultimate judgment upon those who are proud, who are wicked, who reject God and His ways, is that the Lord stands against them and is far from them. That's a terrifying thing. This is the state of every one of us outside of Christ. Ephesians 2 talks about how we are those who are are separated from Christ, alienated from the promises of God, having no hope and without God in the world. But the God who brings judgment on the proud is the same God who shows mercy to the humble. And if you humble yourself before God, Though you were once far off, you can be brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our God is the God who is merciful to the meek. He is kind to the weak and the vulnerable. Verse 25 tells us that He maintains the widow's boundaries. One thing that would happen at the time that Proverbs was written is is property would be marked out by stones, maybe at its corners. And somebody who was greedy for unjust gain or had more power than somebody who was weak they would go over and maybe move those stones. Maybe they would move them a little bit every day so that no one really noticed and expand their own boundaries at the expense of someone who was weak and vulnerable. But the Lord's heart is to protect those who are oppressed. When the proud seek to take advantage of others, the Lord will be their defender. The Lord maintains the widow's boundaries. Those who are humble are those who do not lie and cheat. But they speak gracious words, words that bring pleasure to God and to those who hear them. They are those who consider what they are to say. They exercise control over their tongue, pondering how to answer and speak a good word in season. Where Gehazi just poured out evil things out of his mouth, the righteous ponders how to answer speaking a good word in season. When trials come, when they are oppressed, when they are anxious, when they fear, they find that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The Lord saves the crushed in spirit. Though many are the afflictions of the righteous, the Lord delivers him out of them all. The humble are those who depend on him, looking to God as their only hope and their salvation. And how do we express this in our lives? We express it in prayer. 
And we find that the Lord hears the prayer of the righteous. In verse 30, we see the great effect of this dependence on God. Verse 30 says, The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. It brings joy and and life to us. It's like Psalm 35, 4 and 5. David writes this, he says, I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his trouble. Brothers and sisters, may we have humble hearts which depend on God in the trials that we face. In every circumstance. God is our hope, and so we rest in Him. He is our deliverer, so we trust in Him. He is our help, and so we rejoice in Him. The path of wisdom that leads to life and joy is marked by prayer. It's marked by this humble dependence on God. It's our second trail marker. Dependent on God. Depend on God. Trail marker number three. And finally, listen to instruction. Listen to instruction. Our final section, in many ways, is is a recap of what's been covered. But our wise teacher wants to bring this point home in an important and fitting way. Verse 31 says, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Now, we live in a, an age that's, that's immersed in the visual, right? That loves pictures and movies and illuminated screens. We love those things. We love, we're, we're very much a visual world, a visual society. But notice what this verse emphasizes. It emphasizes our ears. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. You know, as Christians, our life is, is far more about our ears than our eyes. Far more about what we listen to than what we see. And what should we listen to? Well, this verse tells us that we should listen to reproof. We should listen to reproof. Do you know what reproof is? Reproof is, is correction. It's saying, hey, you're wrong. You need to do this instead. That's reproof. We aren't people who, who like to be told that we're wrong. I know I'm not. I assume you're not as well. We like to be right. I don't like to be told, hey, like Christian was as he's looking over the fence at the other path. Like, hey, no, you shouldn't be looking over there. You should be actually on this path over here. It's like, no, I'm my own man. Like, I'm, I'm wise. I got this. And you saw Christian's pride play out in that instance when Hopeful asks asks the question. And Hopeful then goes along with it. But we need reproof in our life. One thing that's interesting about Proverbs, and and I think I've shared this before, but it's, it's remarkable how it comes up again and again. Proverbs talks all about the need for instruction, right? I mean, that's wisdom. Wisdom comes through instruction, through this teaching. The highest form of instruction that Proverbs uses is this. It's reproof. It's this kind of correction. This is the most precious of all the riches that Proverbs holds out. Proverbs says, this is what you need. Reproof. 
And right here we see that. Why do we need this kind of reproof? Because it gives life. Life-giving reproof. And so we, God calls us to be the kind of people who appreciate reproof from those around us for what it is, as that which gives life. We need one another, and we need ears to hear truth. Because we want to be those who, who dwell among the wise. And when Proverbs talks about those who dwell among the wise, it's, it's really ultimately the place where it, God dwells. I mean, it's, it's the place of flourishing, of life, and of, of joy. That's where we want to be. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. So if you're, if you're young or if you're old, listen to life-giving reproof. Verse 32 says, Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Picks up that same phrase, listening to reproof. What, what it presents, though, the contrast that it draws, it says, hey, if you ignore instruction, this phrase, despising himself, really speaks to suicide. This is going to kill you. If you ignore instruction, you despise your own life. You hate it. No one wants to be there. No one wants to hate their own life. But that is the case for those who ignore instruction. But those who listen to reproof, says they gain intelligence. The, the Hebrew behind that means to gain a mind. They had no mind. They lost their mind. They lack a mind. But if you listen to reproof, you can gain a mind. What a gift that is. And then our text concludes with with really what the ultimate expression of instruction is. It says this, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom. And humility comes before honor. Our text began talking about the place where a child receives instruction, right? A father, a mother. And a wise son makes a glad father. As a child grows... They seek counsel, they can seek counsel from their parents, but they seek their counsel from normally other, other adults as one grows more and more. And so we are to be those who, who pursue counsel, who seek counsel. But where is instruction ultimately found? Where is the reproof that we need ultimately found? It's in the fear of the Lord. It's in walking in reverence to God, taking God at His word, trusting that God is who he says he is in this book. And so we trust him and we walk obediently before him. The instruction that we need is from him. It's his wisdom for us. And this, this path that God's called us to walk, this path that scripture lays out for us, this blessed way is one that does result in honor and, and glory and, and flourishing and fullness of life. But it's a path that begins with humility, with recognizing that we are those who listen to life-giving reproof, who open up our lives to one another, who encourage one another, who speak truth to one another, who, who immerse ourselves in God's Word. We saturate our souls with the Word of God so that we are those who, who bleed Bible both for our own good and for the good of those around us. So as we walk this way together, 
May God give us grace to be those who pursue counsel, who depend on God, who listen to instruction. And may he protect and guide our steps on the way. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the instruction that you give us in your word. Lord, we are prone to wander. We are quick to be proud. We are quick to, in our sin, reject the life-giving reproof that we receive in your word and from those around us. And would you humble us? Would you help us to walk in humility? Would you help us to trust in you? And thank you that where we fail, our, our identity is not wrapped up in our failure. But as those who humble themselves before you, our identity is found in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And thank you that you are near to the righteous who call on your name. As we stand, as those closed in your righteousness, thank you that you hear our prayers. Lord, would you help us? Would you guide us? And we glorify your name in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.